I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicuniverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Sin City slash Iron Man 3 episodes and Unbreakable. This should be the last of our bigger, double-sized mini-sodes um, for the foreseeable future, fingers crossed. Um, I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics and the TV show that Seven James rec- recommended over the course of the last two podcasts. So there's some Sin City, uh, Criminal, Invincible Iron Man... Uh, Tales of Suspense, yep, that's right, and the TV show No Heroics. Um, But before any of that, let's take a look at the comic book movie news that has broken over the past couple of weeks. Um, And this is pretty slim, you guys. I think we are in the comic book movie news dead zone. There is a sliver of movie news before we move into the, um, I think, more exciting TV stuff. Um, so let's let's crack straight on with this and get into the uh, the comic stuff, which I think is going to be the the most exciting stuff this week. Um, Daniel Day Kim has replaced Ed Screen in Hellboy. Uh, you remember that uh, Ed Screen moved away uh, from the role after the whitewashing con- controversy with uh, the parts. Daniel Day Kim, um, who is a Korean American actor best known for Lost, um, who himself recently. Uh, left a project, Hawaii Five O, after he and his co-star Grace Park were offered um, salaries that were substantially lower than their white counterparts on the show. Um, so this feels like a win for Daniel Day Kim, who um, I'm a massive Lost nerd, and um, I thought Daniel Day Kim was fantastic on that show, and um, I'm glad that he's going to get to turn up in what will hopefully be a pretty big comic book movie. Um, the first image from the film has also been released of David Harbour in costume as Hellboy, and he looks like Hellboy. He looks a, a lot like Hellboy from the comics and from the Guillermo del Toro version. Uh, there are slight differences, um, and I'm sure they'll look to uh, highlight those in a bit more detail when the actual film's coming around and when the marketing campaign properly kicks off, because I don't think you want it to look like just the same thing again and I don't think you want audiences to be confused that this is Ron Perlman but I guess it's probably pretty difficult to make Hellboy look drastically different from the last cinematic version of Hellboy without substantially changing the look Um, but yeah so you can find the first image of David Harbour as Hellboy online Um, now this I think is a very interesting one Jessica Chastain um, is starring in X-Men Dark Phoenix. That we knew already. We on the podcast assumed, as did pretty much everyone, that given she was playing the antagonist kind of figure and that she is red-headed and that this is a Dark Phoenix story, that she would be playing Lalandra. That's apparently not the case, which is very interesting. 
Um, she posted on her Instagram that she's not playing Lalandra. So whether she is playing just kind of another character that stands in for that role, maybe. Or maybe it's someone completely different and they're doing something completely different with the story. Um, who knows? Simon Kimberg star in that one, of course. Um, and so we'll have to wait and see. Wait and see what whether we get our first footage or a picture of Jessica Chastain in costume that might give us a few more hints there. Uh, we'll move on to the TV stuff now, which is um, a lot more exciting. The CW have ordered a series of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which will be a spin-off from Riverdale. So we'll probably see the character of Sabrina Spellman introduced in Riverdale Season 2 this year. Um, and then Sabrina will be getting her own series. Um, now that's exciting for a couple of reasons. This is, of course, the same Sabrina... Um, who uh, was the main character in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which was a 90s show that as a kid who grew up in the 90s, um, I absolutely loved at the time. Give me any Melissa Joan Hart. You know, Clarissa, Sabrina, I didn't care. I wanted to watch it. But Sabrina was better because it had a talking cat, maybe? I don't know. It sounds like this is going to be drastically different from that in the same way that Riverdale is kind of drastically different from your traditional version of Archie. This is going to be a darker spin on the character, um, a character who is struggling between with the knowledge that she's kind of half mortal, half witch. And it also suggests that given that it's going to be existing in the same universe as Riverdale, that the character will be involved there as well, that more supernatural elements will come into the main uh, Riverdale series this year. Um, I think this sounds great. I hope they get a, a really good young actress to play the role. Um, they've done some pretty good pretty good work casting that show up already um and yeah chilling adventures of sabrina coming to the cw probably next year over on hbo hbo have officially ordered a pilot for watchmen and have ordered um additional scripts damon lindelof's name was attached to this he kind of distanced himself a little bit and said look i, I might be doing this it depends I'd need to weigh up whether this version of Watchmen is something that needs to be in the world, whether it's a better thing that exi it exists. Um, it seems like after he's finished on The Leftovers, he's decided that, yes, it is something that should exist. Or at least he's going to give his uh, very best crack at it. So Damon Lindelof is making a Watchmen pilot for HBO. Um, and if that goes well, we could see a full series. Um, so... I'm sure there will be uh, equal amounts of optimism and outrage on the internet about that. Um, and finally, some TV news. Uh, so in the Arrowverse, as it's called, or the Flarrowverse, or the shows that cross over between Arrow and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl, um, they're doing another big crossover this year. Hopefully it'll be better than last year's, which was a bit rubbish. Um, and hopefully the, all four parts will cross over this time. Unlike last year, where there was a Supergirl episode, which was a Supergirl episode and a character from another show turned up at the end and said, hey, come with me. Um, so this year they are doing a story called Crisis on Earth X, which will be set loosely around the wedding of Barry and Iris um, when some villains from Earth X attack and all of those villains are going to be evil doppelgangers of our main characters, which sounds like the kind of campy fun that I want from those shows. I, I, the best villain that Supergirl has had over two seasons was the evil version of Supergirl, um, the Black Kryptonite version, I think it was, in season one. And Grant Gustin did a very good job of playing an evil Barry Allen last year. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I think I'm in the bag for this. Um, some interesting news 
In terms of casting for that crossover, Russell Tovey is going to be taking part, who's an actor I really like, and he's going to be playing the character of the Ray. Um, notably, uh, the character will be openly gay as part of the series, which um, is a positive step for an openly gay su- superhero to be operating on TV. And Tovey is, of course, an openly gay actor as well. So... Um, that's that's good. I like that. And uh, yeah, I like Russell Tovey. I like Flash. And I, I'm sure I'll like Arrow again when I catch up. And I like Supergirl. And I just don't think I'll ever catch up on Legends in tomorrow. But I'll at least see one episode a year because of these crossovers. Okay, that's it for this week's comic book movie and TV news. And we'll move on now to discussing the comic book recommendations and the TV recommendation from the last couple of shows. <laughs> This episode of Cinematic Universe is brought to you by our backers on Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe, you will see that we have revised our rewards and tiers system on there. And one of the changes we have made is that if you back us at the $20 level, we will plug something of your choice in this special section here, the this episode is brought to you by slot. So if you have a look, think, is there anything you would like us to promote on a future episode, then you can throw some cash our way via Patreon. And this is the point in the podcast where we will tell all of our listeners that this episode is brought to you by you. Um, So we'll start off with the recommendations that were made on the Sin City episode. Um, And I'll start with the, let's, let's start simple. Let's start with the actual Sin City recommendation the volume Booze, Broads and Bullets, uh, c- completely coming from Frank Miller. And um, yeah, after reading this, you can very much see how the movie directly transplanted a lot of stuff that was going on in the comics onto the film. I'm not sure there's there's much in this that I read that was... Um, stories that were directly used. There is, there's one, and I'm just flashing forward to it now. I'm just uh, having a look on the old iPad, and um, yeah, there is uh, the the part at the start, the Josh Hartnett part of the movie. Yeah, it's called the customer is always right, and that's kind of the that was the framing device or the the opening scene from the Sin City movie. That's in here. Um, other than that, it's more a case of kind of characters turning up. So there's there's Marv is kind of in and out. The two hitmen characters from the film, one of whom is bizarrely played by Nick Offerman, um, they are in here as well. And they kind of, you see kind of little char- characters popping up in different stories um, and weaving between them. There will be a protagonist of each one, um, but then there will you kind of see characters come in and out. So, for example, those two hitmen are the stars of the main characters of one of the early stories and they are kind of like the background antagonists in a story that's um, included later on. Um, So the stories included in this this, um, volume are Just Another Saturday Night, Fat Man and Little Boy, they're the two hitmen, The Customer Is Always Right, Silent Night, and Behind Door Number Three, Blue Eyes, Rats, Daddy's Little Girl, Wrong Turn, Wrong Track, The Babe Wore Red, um, and that's everything. Um, and yeah, I would say it's much like the movie. There are some stories that are really are really engaging. Um, there's others that are very hit and miss. Um, 
for me, the most noteworthy stuff or the most interesting stuff was the artwork. Um, I think especially after already knowing what was... I know, from seeing the film, which is a very faithful adaptation, I kind of know the vibe of this. I know the kind of film noir stuff that it's trying to imitate. Um, So it's just a case of kind of enjoying what I was looking at and occasionally like having some fun with some of the stories. Um, But for instance, like uh, there's just, I'm just flicking through here, there is one shot of Nancy dancing, which... It isn't like leery, but the way that her hair is white against a uh, a black background is um, a really really striking image. There's one story where Marv is kind of I think that was it's Silent Night. It's I, I think it's Marv anyway, who's kind of just battling his way through a, a, a snowstorm um, to ultimately uh, confront some wrongens and save a little girl. And then I think some of the other stuff that is really perversely enjoyable is some of the sick and twisted endings that um, Frank Miller comes up with for his stories here. He's clearly enjoying just wallowing in the depravity of the world he's created. And there are a few stories where you're like, whoa, okay, that escalated quickly. <laughs> that was pretty full on. It's just like the movie. There's kind of like chase scenes where just like, it's it's pedal to the metal from the moment you kind of join the story and never slows down um and there's there's some other stuff where it's just like oh shit okay i didn't realize it was going to be this dark um so it's kind of there's there's one story where uh it's called blue eyes and it's one of the the main parts of the story where the color comes into the black and white comic where there is a guy who is being pursued by someone he assumes to be a hitman, and he can't figure it out because he's a nobody. He he's never really hurt anyone. He's anonymous. He's not tied up in all the kind of the criminal dealings that so many of the other characters are. And then a woman comes into the bar that he's hiding from the hitman in, and um, she's called Delia. She's got striking blue eyes. Um, she wears blue as well, and she his she's his old flame who he never really got over. And she's like, I've, I've missed you. I've, I've, you know, let's 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 leave together. And it seems like the hitman's gone, so he goes off with Delia. Um, they have sex, and then she punches him and pins him up against the wall. And um, she says, um, "I do love you, Jim, more than I ever realized. I love you. That's why you have to die." After we broke up, I fell in with a very bad crowd. I married a man. He beat me. I killed him. It turns out I'm good at killing, and I like it. I like it a lot. There's a guild made up of people like me, and a world full of customers for our services. This is my graduation day. My physical training is complete, but they need to know they can count on me. If I can bring myself to murder the only man I've ever loved, I can do anything. And then she crunches his neck with her foot. Um, And... (laughs) That's that's really dark, and but that's not that's not kind of like the darkest stuff in here. The next kind of substantial ish story in the collection is called Daddy's Little Girl, and it's about a guy who's been uh, dating this girl who is presented in flashes of pink. She's got pink looks, lipstick, pink hat, uh, pink clothing, and he's going to kill her father because she's like my dad will never agree to us being together and you need to like the only way that you can that you can we can be together is if you go and kill him 
So she plants a gun in the house. He goes to kill him, shoots him twice, except the girl has loaded the gun with blanks and it's been done on purpose because the dad and the daughter are are having and have been having for some time and she's 19 years old um, at this point anyway have been having an incestuous relationship and she said she says um, basically when the dad attacks the guy and beats him to a bloody pulp she says oh this one didn't put up much of a fight at all did he as if this has happened lots of times. And she says, I let you down. You're probably not a bit excited. And he says, I will be, baby. We'll have us a time once I'm done with him. And then the implication. And then when she says out loud, I'm sorry, Johnny, but daddy's got, um, but daddy's gotten older. It takes a lot to get him excited. And then the father strangles the guy to death i was just like oh holy shit that is really dark um there's another dark i I won't go into all the plot details that wrong turn is the next story which uh, delia shows back up in i think she's kind of like the star of this volume um where she kind of uh, identifies the wrong person as her as her target um and that has another very twisted ending Uh, and then delia turns up again to kind of like when she finally figures out who the right target is in the next story um, and so, yeah, I think that some of the artwork here, really stunning. Some of the stories I was that were, were genuinely surprising the direction that Frank Miller took them in. And I don't know whether that's just because I haven't read enough Frank Miller. Um, but I would say I enjoyed this. It didn't make me desperately want to go and read a bunch of Sin City. I don't think I'm going to like be delving deep into the, into the Frank Miller Sin City annals, but there's there's certainly merit and there's and I can certainly see the appeal of Sin City. Um I just don't think I've fallen in love with it either either on the screen or in the comics. But I, I certainly I think I, I respect the artistry of them a lot more than I enjoy the process of reading them. But it wasn't like I was bored and it wasn't like I didn't enjoy it. I was just like, Oh, that's interesting. I feel like I've got my fix of Sin City now. Um, so moving on to Seb's recommendation from the Sin City podcast, um, we have Criminal uh, from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, and Seb recommended the second volume, which is called Lawless, um, and I think Seb said that this was kind of the one that was most most reminiscent of um, of Sin City. Uh, it kind of has the film noirish vibe to it. Um, and so this follows a character called Tracy. There is a narration that kind of feels like noirish narration. It's not, um, it's not the character of Tracy narrating his own life, but it's, uh, it, it feels kind of POV-ish, even even though it's not. It feels like it's inside his head to the extent it, it the narration knows what makes Tracy tick, even though he's not like outwardly narrating his story. Um, uh, Tracy's surname is Lawless, uh, and what we find out, we we meet him murdering someone, um, and what we find out via flashback is that he has been in prison, and that, or well, he was in army jail basically for some, um, you, it's revealed later, but for some stuff that he did while on tour in, I believe, Bosnia and Afghanistan, um, and he's basically come home to find that his brother has been killed 
um, and that his brother kind of like never really got the break that he did, which was to join the army and get out of his hometown. So his brother kind of carried on the family business, which was crime. And um, in fact, right at the end of this story, and I'm, I'm sure this must be a reference, the kind of like just at the top of the letters page at the end of the last issue, it says the secret ingredient is crime. And I am convinced that has to be a Peep Show reference because that's one of my favourite lines from Peep Show, from Superhands. Um, so I had a, I had a little smirk at that. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the brother is now dead and you see Tracy going through the motions of getting getting set up so he can infiltrate himself with Tracy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. His old gang because he's convinced that there's been some squabble about money within not sorry not within Tracy his brother's called Rick um, and so he, he gets into Rick's gang and becomes convinced that there was, there's been some petty squabble that Rick has died over some meaningless amount of money and that he's basically going to take them down from within um, and yeah again I don't think I really need to go into all of the um, all of the plot machinations of this one I think especially because I mean, I'll come out and say, I think this was um, comfortably my favourite comic that was recommended on the podcast this week or over these two episodes. I've enjoyed every Ed Brubaker recommendation that I've been given. Um, I enjoyed the Captain America recommendation, probably the least of all of them. Um, but I still really enjoyed that Winter Soldier stuff. Um, and I think, I think aside from this, I mean, I've definitely been recommended Velvet, um, there was some Catwoman and Ed Brubaker kind of crime stuff. Um, any kind of like underworld, any kind of character operating through some kind of flawed, broken system um, is really fun. And this this does that with all of the the film noir vibes, and it's really it's really really great. Um, there's there's a gorgeous dame who he falls in love with. Um, it's all it's it's all modern day stuff again. Um, it's this isn't a throwback. It is kind of like mo- modern day crime, but it's it's bank robberies and it's car chases, um, and yeah, it's it's just really fantastic. And it feels like all of the all of the plot is constantly. While it's interesting in its own right, it's constantly serving the character. 
it's constantly taking time within it to, it might be a direct flashback or it might be just Tracy kind of reflecting on kind of where he is mentally and, and how he's, I guess, dealing with his brother's death, but also dealing with his father's legacy, his place in the world, um, his the, the things that he did while he was in the military. Um, and it's kind of all this, it's all the stuff I love. It's kind of like genre, genre plot, but centered in character, which I think is, is, is always the stuff that I gravitate towards. Um, I mean, I'm an enormous uh, Stephen King fan. I, I spoke about Lost earlier on this podcast, and that's the kind of stuff that really, that usually clicks for me, where there's some, there's some fun genre plot stuff going on in the background, but really it's a, mechanism to tell you stories about the characters um and so yeah i i thought criminal was fantastic this is something that i i will be time permitting trying to catch up on um because i know said said um specifically as well coward the arc before was um was was really good as well and some of the stuff that it goes into later on i think basically though i just need to sit down and like mainline all ed brubaker because it sounds like he's uh he's my bag to be honest and um and yeah i'm looking forward to doing so i was i was i was in london earlier this week and i was browsing forbidden planet and they had this big gorgeous hardback edition of like the first three or four criminal volumes all into one and i was I was sorely tempted, and it's the kind of tempted that usually means I'll buy it next time I'm in there. Um, so maybe I will be talking a bit more about Criminal on, on future episodes of the podcast because I thought it was really, really great. Um, okay, we'll move on to the Iron Man 3 recommendations now. Um, and we'll start with the one that I can basically skip past, which is Tales of Suspense 50, which James recommended uh, from Larry Lieber and Don Heck. This is the first appearance of the Mandarin in comics. Um, and yeah, he's a he's a red peril caricature. Um, he's He literally lives in a castle fortress. Um, he's a throwback villain in in that sense and also a throwback in the way he's kind of his uh, his ethnicity is depicted the drawing of him is horrendous um, like, <laughs> something that you could not begin to get away with um in probably like 1977 let alone 2017 um and at the story it's it's a half an issue it's iron man goes to fight the mandarin I think he's in China for some other reason and the Mandarin fight and the Mandarin is kind of the person he ends up fighting and we see uh, like Chairman Mao's forces we see Chinese military are even scared of the Mandarin so there's kind of like oh you think the you think the commies you think the Chinese commies are bad well even they're scared of the Mandarin and um, his kind of he's wearing the rings he's wearing the ten rings but it seems like his power is martial arts which again <laughs> not great and they fight and then iron man defeats him but not not fully and i'm not sure he kind of because iron man's clever he calculates the velocity and the angle that the mandarin's blow is going to come in at and he manages to kind of like hurt him by angling his arm at just the right it's silly and he goes home and he flirts with pepper pops a bit and there's a bit of a love triangle going on with pepper and happy and uh tony so 
yeah, that's what happens in Tales of Suspense number 50. And um, it's not great. It's not the kind of comics that I enjoy reading. Uh, a lot better is Invincible Iron Man Annual 1. Uh, the story is called Mandarin, the story of my life. This is from Matt Fraction and Carmine D. Gian Domenico. Um, and this was also James's recommendation. And essentially, uh, this is Matt Fraction's take on um, the Mandarin. And he kind of reimagines him as as a as a dictator basically is kind of like a um Saddam Hussein Colonel Gaddafi uh, Kim Jong Un esque um esque di- dictator and I don't think he runs the country but he kind of has that I, in fact I know he doesn't run China um but he has that vibe to him um he captures a filmmaker. And essentially, this it's the Mandarin's favourite filmmaker um, who's made some kind of like critically lauded films. And the Mandarin kidnaps him and his wife and makes him make a film about the Mandarin or he'll kill him and his wife. And there are other people who've been captured and kind of are made to do it as well. And the story is essentially showing the Mandarin kind of telling his story and trying to get this filmmaker to depict this story, but the filmmaker fighting back and trying to get a more realistic version of the Mandarin out there. So the Mandarin is kind of like his own hype man. He's trying, he's made, he's made up these myths of his history, of his origin, and you're not sure what to believe and what not to believe. Um, But there is no doubt that a lot of it is made up and that, some of the truths of um, certainly how brutal and how evil he has been to the people he claims to uh, represent and to have lifted out of of others' oppression. Um, there's some funny stuff with the way he like depicts Tony Stark with the way that he wants to present his villain, um, his his uh, enemy, and that's fun. Um, but mostly, it's a it's a pretty dark comic. Um, reimagining this character with I don't think there are any that I could see any kind of caricaturist caricaturist stereotypes about the character um, he seems like more of a kind of like a an evil businessman and like I say like, like a dictator than he does kind of some like mystical sorcerer with karate powers um, I, I don't really know, like, he, he has the Ten Rings, they have lots of powers, there, there's one point where, like, each of the Ten Rings, it sh- it's, there's, like, a sign saying which, what each of them does, but again, it seems like, it seems like there might be a lot of smoke and mirrors going on with the Mandarin with what he can actually do, um, and what, and so I, I'm not sure, because I think Matt Fraction carried on using the Mandarin throughout the course of his Iron Monarch, um, and I don't know where he took that, so... Uh, yeah, so this was this was interesting. I know Seb said that it was kind of um, it was kind of a little bit of an allegory of for an artist working within Marvel at the time as well. Um, you, you could kind of see the reflection of the of you know the the writer putting the the artist putting himself into his own work and kind of 
you can maybe I mean I'm not sure what the situation was but maybe if Matt Fraction was fighting for a new take on the Mandarin and he was being given the direction of no you we we need to stick true to his history in the comics um I mean, if you'd have told me that Matt Fraction had collaborated with Drew Pierce and Shane Black after the making of Iron Man 3 and kind of um, put put through the lens the comic book fans' reaction to his their film into a comic, this I could imagine that this was, that, you know, I would believe that that was true. Um, but it's not, it's Matt Fraction and... Yeah, I I think I think this was it's a it's an enjoyable comic, it's an interesting comic. Um and it's dark, it's real dark, especially uh especially the places it goes to towards the end. Um and it does inject the Mandarin with a real sense of menace that feels in much the same way that Trevor Slattery does pre the reveal in Iron Man 3, the the sense that he is a kind of a real-world villain who could exist in 2017, but stripping away the kind of the, the red peril kind of stuff from it. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of the Iron Man recommendations I've been given on this podcast, to be honest, and I don't think... Uh, I don't think I have read any of Matt Fraction's other Iron Man stuff, and this certainly made me keen to do so. I'll have to find out from Seven James whether it whether it's supposed to be any good. Um, but having read this, I can only imagine that it is. Um, so yes, yeah, so that was the Iron Man three comics recommendations, which just leaves us with No Heroics, which was Seb's other recommendation. Uh, which was a TV show rather than a comic. I'm not sure whether we've ever done this before um, properly, uh, but we're going to do it now. Um, so this was the show that Drew Pierce wrote. It went out on ITV2 in the UK. It only ran for one six-episode season, um, and it stars... Let's go through them. Uh, Nicholas Burns plays a character called The Hotness. Um, Nicholas Burns, best known for Nathan Barley. Um, and yeah, he's a character who can basically heat things up. Um, Claire Keelan, um, who I know best from her sporadic appearances on the trip. Um, she plays Electro Clash, who's, uh, who can control machines. Uh, James Lance, who, uh, basically, if you see his face, you'll have seen him in a million things. Um, he plays a character called, a character called Time Bomb, who can see 60 seconds into the future. Uh, Rebecca Staten plays She-Force, who um, is strong. Um, and and they're kind of the main cast. There's also um, Patrick Bellardi, who was in The Office. Um, uh, he was the kind of the boss from the other branch who comes in in The Office. Uh, he plays a character called El- Excelsor, who's basically the really cool, powerful, Superman-esque superhero in this universe, except he's a bellend. And then um, there's Jim Howick, who again you'll know from a bunch of stuff I've known best from Peep Show. Um, and well, I guess the horrible history stuff, he's part of that crew. Um, he plays a character called Thunder Monkey, who's kind of like the the bouncer at the, the bar that they all hang out at at night. And his power is that he can summon monkeys, except because there aren't many monkeys in the UK, they take up to four hours to turn up or something like that um and yeah i think 
I think what I would say about No Heroics is that I liked it a lot. Uh, it was it's very easy to watch, but I think I like the idea of it more than I like the execution. I think the characters, uh, particularly the main four, are very well drawn very early on, and they're kind of you know within the first episode what everyone's thing is, and despite them, most of them probably apart from She Force being kind of like real shitty superheroes assholes and like out for themselves and kind of dicks to everyone else um you like them and you like spending time with them uh, the concept is great of just like a world filled with all these superheroes and they're kind of worrying about like how many times they're showing up in the news because they're just kind of like it's it's like basically the guys from the office who are going down to the pub afterwards and kind of like unwinding and moaning about work and having their own little relationships. They just happen to have superpowers. It's a great idea for a sitcom. I, I read that they try to uh, they try to get an American remake off the ground, and you could see it working. I could see shades of the Tick in the show. I think the Tick's a better show than No Heroics ultimately, but there is stuff to love in there. Um, there's there's kind of occasionally like um, arcs. For a character, uh, either like whether it's the main plot or the B plot, like I'm thinking, uh, Time Bomb has a really good uh, B plot in one episode where he's looking after a prince, which is um, really well executed, start to finish uh, from his perspective. Uh, that does remind me, though, sometimes um, this happened semi regularly in the show. I thought either badly cast or very badly directed, kind of like supporting characters in the show, people who are just kind of there in the background, and you're like. Oh wow, that's a that's a not great performance. That's that character's not working, or that's way too big for this situation. Um, so yeah, there's occasionally really strong A plots or B plots that actually you feel like oh, from start to finish that worked. What surprised me, given the incredible payoff to this Trevor Slattery reveal in the middle of Iron Man three, and the way that that, that film kind of continually kind of makes you go oh wow okay that's where you got to there um i thought that quite often the plots in no heroics kind of peter out and that you're like oh that was that's that's the joke you were building to so kind of like there's a there's a plot where um the hotness is given some laxatives and by by um electro clash's dad who was a superhero back in the day and they slip the laxatives in there, and you're like, okay, so what, where's where's this going? I wonder where this. And it's just, oh, he shits himself. And you're like, okay, I, I mean, yeah, I guess, but that's not very. I kind of expected more, like, I, or, or I kind of expected to laugh at the end, not just to be like, oh, he sh he, it was what you thought was going to happen happened, um, and that happened quite a few times. There's an episode where she forces working in an office and. The guy that she's talking to in the office because she's trying to maintain a secret identity. The guy she's working with is a uh, a capist. He is kind of um, he hates superheroes, and she has to pretend the whole try and go along with the joke the whole way through the episode. And at the end of the episode, she has to lift something heavy in front of him and reveal herself. And I just thought a lot of the time I was kind of like, oh well, that's where I think it's going, so it must be going somewhere else, and it didn't. Um, 
having said that, there's a, a lot of the humor. A lot of the humor is just dumb humor, like uh, like the the Bell End characters, the Excelsior characters in the bar, keeping calling the hotness hot pants and stuff like that, and like him doing various like misogynist things with Electro Clash in the bar and. But I think what's one of the stronger elements of this is how good a character Electro Clash is uh, that she holds her own with everyone in there and is perhaps kind of like the shittiest one one amongst them. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, Claire Keelan comes out of this as the MVP of the show, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, I, I it's one of those where I'm like, oh, God, the concept is really great. It has such potential. I would have loved to see if they came back with a, a second season and maybe just like got Drew Pierce working with someone else and really tightened things up. I would love to see what the show was. Ultimately, this is all it is. Um, but you can see you can see why it developed a bit of a cult following because it has flashes of brilliance and it's just such a great concept. It's just such a great concept. I can't reiterate that enough and i've probably said it about eight times now uh, so i shall move on um and that is it for this week's show don't forget that the next episode of the podcast is going to be focused on m night shamlands unbreakable um if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on itunes stitcher player fm or your podcast app of choice and you can support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com and you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.